a shout out to Patreon producers Tom Bach, Stuart Ferguson, and Jonathan, whose support makes this show possible. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Pockets Full of Soup, the storytelling show. I'm your host, Jared Petty. It is great to be here. It has been a long, cold winter, but we have returned, and we're returning today with a familiar face, a face that you can't see, because we've gone audio only. That's right. Pockets Full of Soup is now audio only. Why is that? Well, because frankly, it's easier to make that way, and I wanted to make more episodes of Pockets Full of Soup. So that's why it's audio only. So hopefully you're listening to this right now on podcast services, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, one of those other places you listen to podcasts. But enough of me ranting. A familiar face that you can't see, but a sonorous and melodic voice that your ears will remember well. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Altano. Hi, Jared. Hi, Brian Altano. It's, it's good to see you again. It's good to see you, too. It has been a while. You just returned from from the far-off magical land of Norway. Yeah, one of those wonderful magical things that you never plan to do but you you go do because they ask you to do it you know it's like a, a lot of things are kind of a surpri- surprise uh, yeah i realize in in my winter years <laughs> through <laughs> whatever it is that i'm doing out here um you just get a phone call one day and they're like hey come shoot a travel show in oslo and you go sure let's do it and you head into pre-production and you scout locations and you call them up and you you know work with some really talented some you know sound people and dps and directors yeah. and cameramen and you get on that 16 hour flight and blah, blah, whatever it is uh and then you get there and you make a show in three and a half days and you come home and you head in post-production and like it's it's i just fucking love all of it you're proud of how it all came together i think so yeah i mean i was looking at some footage today and it's just like i don't know i'm just i'm lucky to work with like it's 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 we basically make we make a tv show in two and a half days in mm-hmm. the city and then we bounce Um, and it's generally with, uh, with half the time it's with, or actually most of my co-hosts have been people I've never met before until I get there. Mm -hmm. Like I worked with, um, Barbara Dunkelman from Rooster Teeth on the San Francisco episode. Her and I had never, we'd never met. Oh, wow. Um, it's kind of amazing that we both, I think it's like, it says a lot about my, my ability to sort of be this kind of blank canvas and work with people, but also that I've been very lucky in working with tremendously talented warm funny fucking weird people (laughs) that you know you can just sit down and go like okay let's let's do two 12-hour shoot days in a row until late at night and we're gonna be hungry and we're gonna be tired and our mouths are gonna be dry from talking um but let's find chemistry there and let's find conversation and turn it into something believable and real and i think the end result usually is so like yeah I'm, i'm really happy with that i got to work with um Alex Golden Boy Mendez in in Austin. I I met him for like ten seconds at IGN back okay. in the day, and we kind of hit the ground running. And he said to me like a day into the shoot, he's like, "I feel like I've known you for like thirty years." And I was like, "That's honestly one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me." Aww. And so um, I worked with Megan Camarina in Oslo, who's like this big time YouTuber, old school YouTuber. She's been doing this since like. Since before YouTubers were YouTubers. When okay. YouTube started in 2007, and they were like, so I guess we put videos up? And yeah. she, she was like, I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put videos up constantly, and I'm going to make this my thing. Um, before anyone was like, there was a convention for it or anything like that. Or, yeah, can you imagine if you had like a Logitech webcam and the ability to see into the future in 2007? Yeah. That's yeah. what she did. Yeah. I, yeah, I can't even imagine it. I mean, it's, it's weird, because I feel like I was on the... 
I was on the early the early days of podcasting. Yeah. Um, because I've been podcasting since God two thousand nine at this point. Mm-hmm. It's fucking crazy a decade of this shit um but even then it was like it felt like a safe bet and people in the games industry were doing it here and there so it it made sense but yeah no it's 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 a it's it's a cool show to work on it's you know it's called fast travel i've been doing this is six episodes since february in six different cities Mm -hmm. um and we're pitching more cities now it's basically we're at the whim of when it gets sponsored so yeah well, you call it, it's called fast travel. That that just just for a second, uh, diverting off into into a sidebar here. We're mm-hmm. not a gaming show, but I've got to ask: Where do you fall on Arthur and fast travel? In in what? In Red Dead, where do you fall oh. on Arthur and oh, fast travel? Oh. Sh- should there be fast travel or not? Um, I think generally it's handled um, really well in that it it gets you out of your comfort zone, which I think is what traveling should be about. I think in the practical moment to moment of like, I want to go here quickly. Mm-hmm. It's cumbersome, but that's only because we've, there's certain sets of rules that we've been trained to apply to ourselves and when playing video games forever. Yeah. Um, I think that in general, the way that, that Red Dead Redemption 2 handle, handles exploration and discovery and, and loneliness is, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd like to click a button and, and arrive somewhere quicker than I do, but um, there's something there's something beautiful about just getting to play that game at your own pace. I don't want that to be the norm for video games. I think that like that's I can't play that game in 30 minute chunks. I just yeah. can't. It's not. No, that game is made to be played in four yeah. or six hour dives. I agree with you there. That is a, that is like a slow cooker stew over a camp stove. But, of a game, like, you know? but like good genuine barbecue. And hey, we're yeah. together in a podcast. Barbecue has to come out. That's true. Like good genuine barbecue, low and slow. Yep. And that leads to delicious. Which I had a bunch of in Austin, by the way. And I was like, fuck, I get it. I okay. totally get it. And Having that brisket? Yeah. It's Well, it's like, yeah, I think it's like, it's it's really cool. Um, it's really cool that you can go to places and they champion a thing. And I am all for where our universe is heading through um, shared experiences and connectivity and the internet and all this kind of stuff. And like people call it like globalization and like there's a negative to that. I mean, if, if, if I could get great barbecue here, like mm-hmm. I could in Austin, it'd be fucking awesome. The fact that I can't makes me want to go to Austin, you know? So I have good news for you, my friend. Uh-huh. Uh, off air, we're going to talk about a place that I found that has honest-to-God real pork barbecue at the edge of the Bay Area. Really? Yes. Now, it's pork barbecue, not the beef barbecue that you had. Yeah. But it is very much like the Carolina-style pulled pork barbecue I grew up on, which I really enjoy. And uh, it is within your grasp. I don't think people realize how much meat I eat. <laughs> like I think I eat people, a lot of meat. We're yeah, meat eaters. Yeah, we're, yeah. Yeah, we're very carnivorous because I think like you're, you know, I do mostly paleo whole 30 and you do keto. Yeah. And people look at me and they look at when I used to be fat and they're like, "You fucking soy boy." And I'm like, "First of all, I don't like soy." <laughs> to me, soy is so overprocessed. I don't even touch it. I am like like I I, it was cartoonish today. The lunch I had at my desk. I like we basically, I I roasted like a giant leg of lamb last night and, and <laughs> with potatoes and gravy and like broccolini and all this shit. And I brought it in this Tupperware, and I heated it up. And I was sitting in there at my desk, and I had a bottle. They sent us a bottle of uh, Assassin's Creed wine, <laughs> and I didn't open it, but they looked like a fucking like a, like this like fucking nerd stock photo where my wall of toys yeah. is behind it, and then. On my desk, there's this plate of like lamb and like, and like 
you know, gravy and there's like uh, no carrots and though, huh? yeah, no, no, no jelly. And it was like caramelized onions and broccolini. And then there's this bottle of like Ezio auditory wine sitting That's behind amazing. it. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful shot. I um, have a bottle of IGN wine. Uh, it was supposed to be given. It's champagne that was supposed to be an award given to Portal for best 2011 puzzle game. Right. Um, yeah. There's a couple bottles of that kicking around in there's, there's weird, there's weird haunted old shit in this place. Yeah. It's, it's at IGN it's it's bizarre because it's a it's it's all the promo stuff that that you that that people don't they don't really think to save yeah Um, it's also highly specific stuff that like when a video game comes out and there's a special edition consumers get one thing and then the press gets this like dumb thing that like it's actually stupid that they don't make it available to everybody but like the press will get like you know, like we unboxed uh, Mario Party cookies the other day yeah like that Fran Mirabella who just left IGN had held on to since the GameCube era. Oh my And gosh. they were in this like plastic box with that weird, like what's that? I don't even know what they call it. It's like packing material, but it's like crinkly and long. And they, they usually put it with like Hickory farm sausages and shit. Oh, I know what you're talking, you know what I'm talking about. about? Yeah. I don't know if there's a name it's for it. It's kind of like Easter grass. But yeah. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. <laughs> it's like Easter grass, but like for meats. Oh um, and so it was just this box in there. We opened it up. And it just fucking stunk because it was like, when was the last time you yeah. smelled fifteen-year-old milk? Oh, you know, like, oh, gosh. like it, it's it's awful. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing that, like, you know, you didn't eat them, did you? No, definitely okay. not. No, I, like, I don't, I don't think we're, we're we're not we're not that like self-loathing that we would actually do something like that. I have a I have an Easter grass story. When I lived in Japan, uh, I wanted to make an Easter basket for Angie, and I could right. find most of the components. I managed to find a basket, and and I found, you know, I was able to dye my own eggs through ingenuity. But Easter, not a big holiday in Japan, so right. the Easter grass was a real problem. And my solution was to buy a bunch of finely shredded nori. Uh, which is the dried seaweed. Oh, my that God. They, they actually have it, and it looks just like Easter grass. Yeah, totally. And so I just filled the thing with that, and that was the Easter grass. And, and, uh, so did it stink like the sea? Yeah, it smelled like seaweed. It was a seaweed-smelling Easter basket, but she had her chocolate. She didn't care. You know, if no. you had—oh, you put chocolate in there, too. Oh, yeah. I put, like, gifts in the Easter basket. If yeah, you had been, made the basket edible somehow, I think the entire thing would have been edible. That would have been incredible. Yeah. Oh, my you're, gosh. You're on the, you're on the I, verge of something there. I didn't go so—I I did not think that far ahead. Yeah. This is a good plan. Edible Easter baskets. I'd buy one. I totally agree. Make the entire thing— That's it's actually one of my favorite parts of um, of Willy Wonka is yeah. like they go in that big ass chocolate room and there's just a bunch of shit that's just like just doesn't look like you can eat it and then people are taking bites of it. Yeah, like, just like when he picks it. up that that dandelion or he, it's like that little teacup flower and he takes a bite out of it and it's like clearly wax, but like that there's a that there's a universe where that kind of imagination exists. It's it's a it's world a world of pure, pure imagination. imagination. <laughs> that's a great song. Oh God, I, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's, I I didn't think I realized how perfect that song is. Like, yeah. I, until fairly recently, it's just like oh there's, my gosh. There's going to be a thing in a couple of years where I'm sitting there watching that movie with my daughter for the first time, and because uh, I'll, I'll put it this way, the first time I ever saw that movie was in school. Like they showed it to us in elementary school, and uh, and I'm obviously I'm not talking about the Tim Burton one. I'm talking about the original Gene Wilder, uh, Willy Wonka, and the, or Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Charlie, the, the book is Charlie and the Chocolate yeah. Factory. Yeah, and so the movie begins with like what looked like at the time high res zoomed in footage of fucking chocolate being made in the yeah. most beautiful decadent way and it's just like factory lines of but it also looks it's looks handmade and you can see like 
it's just gooey chocolate being poured, these candy bars being filled up. Mm-hmm. It's it's such an incredible montage to, to begin a movie with. And I remember being like, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, you know, the Thursday before Christmas. Uh, I'm in like third grade or fourth grade or something like that. I'm seeing this movie for the very first time. And uh, I have no chocolate. There's no one in this class has any chocolate. And we're all starving. Starving and watching yeah. it. Like and a- we, we got out of that class. We got out of that movie, first of all, being like, this is one of the greatest movies of all time. And secondly, being like, why is Wonka candy in real life terrible compared <laughs> to this, this movie where like, it's all decadent yeah, delicious like, chocolate? Why do you guys make fucking bottle caps yeah. and like like the, like weird like fizzy sweet like you know fruity stuff? But not fizzy lifting drinks. But not fizzy lifting Those drinks. Make you fly. Yeah. yeah. And then we 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 all got out of there and I think we every kid in that class ran home and was just like ate every bit of chocolate they could find in their houses, told their parents to get them. So in a couple of years, when I show that movie to my daughter for the first time, she's gonna get like 20, 30 minutes in and I'm gonna go hey, uh, by the way, and I'm just going to walk in and just open up this gigantic, hopefully edible basket of chocolate. And That's be like, so great. You're like, if yeah. you want to view yeah. paradise. And I'll get, I'll get fake rappers printed oh, and everything. Right. Like, uh, you got to start singing the Candyman can? Yeah. yeah. And like I'll, put a, I'll put a golden ticket in there somewhere. Because I actually have really one of those. Plan. This is a good plan. Yeah. You have a golden ticket. I do because I dressed as Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka for Halloween a couple years ago. I remember that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which is funny because like, like, all of the razors I own don't go deeper than like a five o'clock shadow. Mm-hmm. So it just looked like, like there's an extra wrinkle to that character as being a really fucked up weird guy um, that might have kidnapped a bunch <laughs> of people from a foreign country. Um, and giving him a five o'clock shadow just adds this extra like, oh shit, that guy's really fucked up in the head. No, I think you in that costume and Jonathan Dornbush and his Austin Powers should really yep. just hang out together. It's the, I had it's- I had a weird experience in that costume. And yeah, we did look like we were in the same universe. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I showed up at a Halloween party and a woman at the party walked up to me. This is right after Gene Wilder died. That's part of the reason I did the costume was I was like, Gene Wilder passed away. Um, I want to honor him and I want to honor my favorite movie of all time. And I like, for the most part, I really get into Halloween costumes. It's like the kind of thing that like, cause it's I, like, I, there's a part of me that like really loves and respects cosplay and enjoys that aspect of nerd culture. Um, and so I put the costume together you know, painstakingly even, even made, I made an everlasting gobstopper out of like Sculpey, okay. which is bakeable clay. Um, and by the way, those things would, would kill you in real life. Like they are the size of golf balls. Yeah. And you're yeah, supposed to suck. There's a reason they're everlasting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, I think it's like, yeah, I, it, someone would choke on one of those easily. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's too big to put in your mouth, which is a weird sentence. Um, so I walk into the party and I'm dressed as Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka, a fictitious character. And it's, woman walks up to me and she goes, Oh my God. Do you know he died? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I'm fucking like stunned. I was like stunned. And like my wife is like dressed as an Oompa Loompa and she's really tall. So it's really funny. And we're like, we just come in. We're just like, like literally walk into a Halloween party. And that's the first thing we hear. Do you know he died? And I was like, yeah. Um, he's, Willy Wonka is not a real man. <laughs> I was like, he's a, that's not a real dude. He's a, oh, that is a fictitious character played like by an actor who passed away. Gene Wilder. Yeah. Who I admire. It was, it was really weird to have to explain that. Cause it no, was like beautiful. Uh, 
that's one of the better. That, that's a San Francisco party. That's story, a fucking right? California yeah, ass that is, sentence. That is a very. It's a California that. ass sentence. And I know because I'm from the East Coast. And if I had walked in with a purple suit um, <laughs> to a Halloween party on the East Coast and a curly wig and a cane and a top half hat, I would have been called something completely different. <laughs> but certainly not. It would have been equally harsh and stupid and ignorant. But it, but it wouldn't, wouldn't have been. been oh my God! Do you know he died? died. It's such on a the, fucking California. Died on the one hundred and one. Yeah. Five. All right. <laughs> Before we go down to make every California listener angry, you mentioned that in a couple of years you're going to watch this wonderful movie with somebody. And that's really why we're here, only 16 minutes in mm-hmm. to the episode. Pockets Full of Soup, the storytelling show about the people we're thankful for. You have been on the show three times now. Is that true? Oh, yeah, that's right. This is your third. You've been on more than any other guest. Holy shit. Um, you came on. Uh, last to talk about New York City yes, and your love for it. The time before that, you came on to talk about your mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, you talked about your mother's illness. Now you're here to talk about a new life. Yeah. In your life. Yeah. Life in your life. Is that? I think so. Uh, so tell me about somebody you're thankful for, Brian. Oh, man. Um, well, I'm... I'm thankful for my wife for delivering a baby that we both love. That's a, that's some shit. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, but no, my wife and I had a kid about six months ago, just about six months, which is fucking crazy because it's like the first, the first few weeks you're just terrified holding this egg that can't see everything it look the world is soup to them (laughs) like it's just like mush like little little, little, tiny babies can't see yeah they can't they literally can't see they can't hear they can see like six issues in front of them that's why they they recognize your faces and stuff like that um and then like little by little they uh they they start to like become a little more self-aware they go through these things called leaps Mm -hmm. which allow them basically they're like they're like leveling up in an RPG <laughs> where like suddenly like you can, you can explore the town a little more and you can see things a little more and hear things a little more and you learn, you learn new attributes and traits and you work on your like personality skill tree and all this other stuff. You start getting grabbier, all these things. These metaphors are so beautifully dorky. Yeah. I'm very happy about This is who I am, man. Um, and yeah, so now my, my kid is six months old. She's fantastic. Everyone says that about their kid. Ours is really great. Ours is like, she's like wonderfully, like her personality is starting to really shine through. And you would think like a six month old baby, because the thing is like babies are newborns for like four weeks mm-hmm. and then they're just babies. They're only newborns for a little bit. And like I said, that's just like this precious egg that you can never put. You just hold this thing and it's just like, ah. <laughs> and then it arbitrarily screams and throws up at you. And then that's it. And you know, it doesn't smile. It doesn't laugh. You get nothing really back aside from like, you're adorable. Please be okay. Are yeah. you all right? Please. I live in constant fear um, to the point where, then they start to develop a little more and like you walk in a room one day and they look at you and they smile and they're like, Hey, and you're like, Oh shit. This, this lady knows me. <laughs> she knows who I am. Um, and so that starts to happen, which is just bizarre. Do you remember the first time that she smiled at me? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well the thing is like the first few times babies smile, it's not on purpose. So it's creepy. <laughs> Like <laughs> they actually don't gain control over that until like a couple months in, but they will sort of accidentally like they'll, you'll be holding them and they'll be crying and they'll stop crying. And they'll look at you and just be like, smile. And you're like, oh, <laughs> God. like what the fuck is that about? 
Um, Actually, let me jump right in with that. Because you are one of the, you are a rare storyteller. You're you're very good at it. Thanks. Um, It's what makes you a good comedian. It's what makes you a a very human friend. Um, But you have a a, a very optimistic outlook on a lot of life and a very perceptive outlook mixed with a kind of a grounded realism. How has fatherhood matched up to both the romanticized ideal that we see presented of, of its most tender moments or the absolute horror show that we see depicted in, in popular fiction of screaming and frustration and diapers? and what, Where has it really been for you, Brian? I, I will say that like those low moments that are like depicted in, in films and like in some of the um, sort of the anecdotal conversations you have with new parents and stuff like that have been you know, far more few and far between than I thought they would be. Mm. Um, and I think part of that is like my wife and I are like, I really have, we have a fantastic system at home and we don't have a ton of, we don't really have any family around. So it's just yeah. been on us. And so we have learned to not get on each other's nerves and jump down each other's throats when things don't go well. That doesn't happen all the time, obviously. Um, and it's also because I think like I got pretty lucky in that my, my kid is, pretty chill and pretty smiley and, 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 and fun. Um, that said, I also waited until like my mid thirties to even start thinking about having a kid. And so if you had, if I had had one when I was 23, I would have been like, all of my favorite things are dead. (laughs) (laughs) Like all of the spontaneity you have in your twenties get stolen from you when you have a kid. I mean, all your spontaneity at any age is gone because the the hardest thing to do when you have a child is to leave your apartment. It's the hardest thing to do. It's like you you and your wife will go like, let's go to the let's go to the thing. And you're like, let's we're gonna walk, let's walk to the fucking CVS. Yeah. Um that becomes that's a that's a whole thing for you both to do at the same time. Like it's a logistical expedition? Yeah, because okay. it's like, and that was one of the things that really grounded us very early on. Now it's easier. Um, but at first we had a kid and we were stuck inside for three days. And we were like, let's go out. We'll put her in the stroller. Um, we put her in the stroller and she threw up on herself. And then we took her out and then she started screaming and crying. So she was hungry. So my wife fed her and then we put her back in the stroller and she threw up on the stroller and we took her out and then she shit her pants. So we changed her pants and the diaper in her stroller and put her back in and she started screaming again. And this is like 90 minutes of us just being like, well, I guess we can't leave. And then we both just collapsed on the floor and just were like, well, we're stuck inside again. We'll watch another film. Um, But the thing is I waited a long time to have kids. And so by the time I decided I wanted to have kids, I was, uh, over, I was over going out and partying on like a Tuesday night. Yeah. I don't really drink much anymore. So I was over, um, waking up with a hangover on a Sunday morning, which when you have a screaming baby is the worst thing in the world. I was over, um, the sort of spontaneity of like on a Wednesday night being like, Hey, let's go hang out with our friends. You know, like I was kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like a home buddy now. Like I, I work all the time and then I yeah. get out of work and I go home and like, I like to be cozy on the couch with a glass of wine i like to cook dinner i like to watch movies with my wife and you know so taking all of that uh having a kid has been wonderful because that 
works with all of those things. Cool. If you had asked me when I was 25 and it was like, hey, you want to go to a party tonight or be a dad? I'd be like, I want to go to the party. It's party's rule. Um, but I waited until those things were like I was over those things to really decide to have one. In terms of the high points, it is absolutely indescribable how much joy it brings me consistently That's cool. on a moment-to-moment basis that no one could have possibly explained. And it's because... When other babies do shit, I don't care at all or never did. (laughs) And it's really hard. It's really hard to explain that, you know, because it's sort of like um, people put up with all the difficult shit with their kids because when they do great things or when they're wonderful, they're there for that and they get to see all that. So like when my baby didn't smile for three months and she just screamed at me like, it's hard to imagine what it was like the first time she smiled at me. But if like you walk in the room and you meet my kid for the first time and she's smiling, you're like, that sounds great. I mean, that's what people do, right? They smile. But for me, it was like a a very personal thing that it was like, oh, this is, I'm here for the the moment to moment. So all of this stuff is great. Um, My wife and I watched a movie called Tully recently, which Mm -hmm. stars Charlie Theron and um, only really focuses on the miserable, sleepless, you know, dreary, negative shit that happens when you have a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is some of that, but we both kind of walked away kind of upset with the film because it it really hyper-focused on just the bad parts of parenting. And, yeah. like, I, I think that's kind of unfair and disingenuous. Like, it's it's it sucks, like, honestly. Yeah, I haven't seen Tully. I, I know the premise behind it. Um, I'm curious, is this... Is that framing based on the idea that this person may just not be particularly interested in or suited for parenthood? Or is it just you feel a certain kind of banal or pessimistic perspective on parenthood in general on the part of the creator? I think that's I think it's it's all there, right? It's okay. all there. And I think that like again, we only have we have one kid. That's our plan right now. Yeah. Um, unless she becomes an asshole, uh, and then we'll have another because I know a lot of a lot of like only childs are assholes. <laughs> oh, yeah, but having another kid to fix your first kid, do you think that's a good plan? No, definitely not. I mean, you would have another kid to have two kids because you love having kids. I was just thinking, like, maybe a utility child. I didn't know. I'm not a parent. So, like, <laughs> it's like maybe that's what you do. I don't know. You yeah. Just probably, I mean, I, it's like it's like when you're the king and you've got to have two. So if the first one dies, there's still a king. Exactly. And the kingdom is plunged into civil war. Exactly. You have that backup kid. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, well, that's, a, that's it's funny you bring that up because I think that, like, that was a, a big part of the the inspiration or the reasoning behind us having kids was never like this will bring the family name further or this will like, I don't, I don't care if my kid is named fucking Kermit robot. Like <laughs> it means nothing to me. Like bringing my dumbass name further into the universe means nothing to me, nor did I have a kid to like fix the mistakes that I, you know, a lot of people were like, I wasn't on the, I, I, you know, I wasn't the captain of this team. Yeah. So, but my kid will be, and like, I never, ever, ever want to do anything like that. So I'd like, if Kermit robot grows up to become like, you know, it's com- just completely different than anything I could have imagined that I'm here for it. You know, how might you screw up Kermit robot? Um, well, you see it very, very early on. We're like, they cry and they and you run in the room to help them. Yeah. Which like is a very um it's a very primal thing. Yeah. And it changes you. Like I was I was on a twelve hour flight the other day and I got on the plane and there was a baby crying. And for the first time in my entire life, instead of saying to myself, Fucking shit, there's a crying baby on my flight, I was like, 
help them. (laughs) Are they okay? I wonder what they're going through. And I was Mm -hmm. looking over. The thing is with me, um, when you look at me, you can't tell I'm a father. When I'm a man on a flight with like aviators and a jean jacket and a five o'clock shadow. Yeah. And you look over at me, uh, and I'm like, you know, drinking no, <laughs> like double fisting wine. You look like a mini boss in river city ranch. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of your MO. Yeah. I, it's weird. And I don't know why, I don't know why I'm like this. But <laughs> I, uh, I look over and I'm like looking at this mom holding this kid and I'm, I'm smiling and I'm like, Oh, she got her kid to stop crying. And she looks over at me and it's just like, is this man <laughs> it's like no i don't want your kid yeah. like i have my own I have my own and it's hard i don't want to walk up to people and be like i have one as well that's why when yours cries i look <laughs> like guess that's a weird <laughs> thing. it's a weird thing to do but it does change you but i think you could you could spoil your kid you could you could do the opposite which is like you'd be on your phone the whole time right you know like i a big part of my job is consuming media you know and that a lot of it is very focused like you when you're playing Red Dead, when you're playing, you know, Zelda or something like that, like these are, these are 60, 70 hour experiences that you really just indulge yourself in. Mm-hmm. And they're very, you know, they're very selfish. It's a very selfish thing to do to sit and enjoy a video game or you marathon a bunch of fucking horror movies in yeah. one weekend, you know? And I do it because I love doing it. And I also do it because it's my, it's literally my job to, to stay up on things. And, you know, you, you do worry that you're so, you're so like, we didn't have that problem when we were kids, you know, there were like six TV channels and our parents were like, you know, go outside, you know, like you're did like your dad wasn't like, Oh, I got to stay in and (laughs) work on this red dead podcast. You know, no, that my, my dad was working like three jobs to to make ends meet. Exactly. So I, I, when he was around, he was very attentive, but there wasn't a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. My dad's escape more than anything, I think was, was reading. Uh, yeah, was, same with mine. Yeah, which is like it makes me feel bad that I don't do that more. But I think that like, you know, cultural habits shift, and it's. I'm not saying that like video games and movies are a better medium than books, but one of them I directly correlates to my to my job, and I find myself doing that more often. No, you were using RPG metaphors to to discuss your child's development. I I uh, just wrote or finished writing and then lost to a technical error, a uh, hop, flip, and a jump script about that. And uh, I had to rewrite it. And it's funny, I was tickled by the metaphor. Yeah. It's how, it's like Scott Pilgrim. It's how I look at the world too. I parse the world through the art I've consumed. And Mm -hmm. so even though RPG systems were developed to be an abstraction of something somebody observed about the way the world really is. Yes. I now reverse that in my head. I see... I looked at the RPG and it's like, oh yeah, life is not RPGs are like life. It's life is like an RPG. Like that's actually how my brain works now. Yeah, no, I, it, it has totally. the art we consume does that to I, us. I think, and that's a that's a cool way of looking at it. It is cyclical that one and you know the the art was inspired by the reality, and now you can use that art to inform the way you describe the reality back in reverse. Which is like, I mean, like I, I think like skill trees are 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 real recognizable discernible thing in reality and i think that like um i i've often like sort of described like comedy stylings uh, amongst skill trees about how um it's it's really easy to level up the like asshole funny skill tree it's like you can fly up that side of the skill tree super easily but if you do if you do the one that's a little sometimes smarter or even stupider um it's more work but i think that like the the ending is better (laughs) you know what i'm saying like um 
Yeah, I, I think about that a lot, and I think that that's like that's a, that's another thing I have to be very cautious of because it's, you know, I'm a very like brash, foul mouthed, crass dude, um, <laughs> and it's very like. Like my daughter threw up directly in my face the other day, and my response was "motherfucking shit." Well, that I mean, that's an appropriate response. It should to be. Happening I, your I think if you get puked in your face, you're allowed to say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. That's that's my law. Um, but my wife is kind of like, "Hey, don't talk like that in front of her." And I'm like, "She puked in my fucking face." Mm-hmm. But it's the kind of things you have to learn to curb. Um, it, and it depends too on. I, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe you don't have different approaches. Yeah. And, and my uh, my father. Uh, one of my favorite things he would do when I was growing up, my dad uh, would curse like Donald Duck. He would do it. He'd had a great Donald Duck voice. And when he would turn into Donald Duck for me, and this one was a you know fairly little kid, right. he would just use the most horrible profanities that I would never otherwise hear but him do it say. In the Donald Duck but he way. would do it as Donald Duck's voice. And then wow. he would switch back to dad and he wouldn't talk like that anymore. And that's, I would get in trouble if I said those words. But, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a, that's it was, a very, that's a, like a very controlled tick. Yeah. I love it was that. Something he would, I think he did at the vent. Yeah. Know, but I, I liked it it's a lot. It's smart though because it's also shielding you from hearing a lot of shit. My, my dad was from Jersey City, New Jersey so he just let it out. Yeah. You know, just like he was the kind of guy that would fart in the middle of a department store and not move. Yeah, and people would just have to walk and be like, "Did this dude really just like lay an egg in this?" No, that dad, my my dad would definitely that his profanity came out much later. Once it, once we felt I could take it, I really only had two names. I was no longer Jared around the house from adolescence on. I was either smartass or dumbass. I was dumbass normally, and I was smartass if I was in trouble. Um, and wow, those were my names. Like, come here, dumbass. Or, really? Come here. Yeah, most of the time. Um, there was uh, like a year where my dad called me Mr. D because that's, that was like every grade on my report card. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is beneficial for me. Like it, in retrospect, it was like, well, that's fucking harsh. But I, Mr. D, I was getting teased. That's amazing. I, 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 do you worry about the things? I mean, we have these things about our parents, even our, our well-meaning parents that we remember. You, You worry about screwing your kid up? No, um, I worry about I worry about the world more. Um, I think that's a infinitely more terrible place than anything that I could provide as in a home. Um, I'm like, I'm I'm weirdly. I think it's like this. This industry has helped me a lot in in never losing sight of childlike joy and wonder. Um, you and I talked about it in the New York episode. The sort of like the looking up, like you know the the how the inspirational um we uh we're currently recording this episode in san francisco in you know late november yeah where california has been on fire for for now a week and a half yeah when this Um, episode goes up it's tomorrow yeah so like it'll still be contemporaneous the the air quality has been horrendous like literally the worst in the world um i'm overly paranoid and cautious about that after losing my mom to lung cancer even though she never smoked and so i have like air purifiers at home even though it doesn't do anything but it's it's a little helps a little it helps my own psychology um or whatever it is and you know i i I spent the entire weekend basically a three-day weekend at home with my wife and my daughter going stir crazy she's young enough to not really understand because she walks from like she walks she gets carried from the living room to the bedroom (laughs) in a one-bedroom apartment it's like holy shit a whole new world yeah and so on saturday morning 
uh, I was like, she was, she was like being particularly ornery. And I was like, I, I want to do something. I want to give her a change of scenery somehow. And so I handed her to my wife. My wife walked in the other room and I went into the living room and I took all the pillows off the couch, like the big ones and everything. And I just built this fucking pillow fort. Oh, like massive pillow fort with like, you know, blanket roof and everything like that. And she's got this turtle that projects, uh, like the constellations and I, and I brought it in there. And so I just grabbed her and I was like, Hey, and she starts smiling. I'm like, come here. She's like, she can't speak or anything yet. She's just giggling and babbling. Yeah. She's like, blah, 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 blah. And I grabbed her and I brought her in there and I, I put this blanket on the ground inside and I laid her, laid her down and it was just like constellations spinning around. And she's in this like dark cavernous dome that I invented in the middle of our living room. And it just, I just thought like, this is, this is the kind of dad that I want to be. You know, somebody Nicely that's done, sir. Well, yeah, not to like, you know, to my own horn or anything, but just like my dad back in the day would have been like, go, <laughs> go outside. And I'd be like, but it's threat level red in the air. And I'd be like, well, fucking, I don't know. Put a sock over your mouth. Get out there. You know, don't come back until it's dark. Hand me a baseball. He's like, bring the baseball back when it's brown. Go outside. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're like, I don't want to do that. Like, no. And so like, I, but you know, on the flip side, I think there's like, you don't want to be overly cautious and overly paranoid, but yeah, that's the kind of the, the, the parent I want to be. And like oh, with kids, sense. they do reject that eventually. And they're like, like, I, 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 I know that instead of my, I don't think my daughter will ever be like, my dad's a fucking asshole, but she will be like, you're fucking weird, Dad. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'd be. I think you're gonna be a wonderful father, but it, I'd be very surprised if your child doesn't look you in the eye someday and say, "I hate you." Oh yeah, that's I'll earn that. Yeah, that's, I've that's, I've had that said to me by every woman in my life in history. So yeah, yeah. Let's put my daughter there too. It's, yeah, that's, that's the weird thing. I was um I I grew up with two brothers. Uh, we had we had two we had three cats and two dogs and they all they all had dicks everyone except my mom my dad you know we were just like it was just like men everywhere and like yeah. strong italian family which were all secretly not so quietly run entirely by strong women yeah. you know like they, they, those are those are matriarchies you even watch the sopranos and you're like no this is a fucking matriarchy like like the, the fact that he has to go to therapy and talk to a woman every single week to unwind his shit just shows that that's kind of where we are. Um, and then I moved to California and married a woman and had a daughter. And like now I'm, my whole life is just being surrounded by like strong, loud women. <laughs> you you like know? It? I love it. It's yeah. great. I mean, it's a good, it's like the first, you know, the first 20 something years were like me and the dudes and I come to work and it's all, it's mostly dudes. Like this is, this is still like, we've made great strides over the last few years, but this is still like a very, like the audience is, is predominantly a demographic of men. A lot of the people working in the industry are men. That's changing, mm-hmm. luckily, you know, and it's getting better and the, the numbers are shifting, which is cool to see. But I, I get enough, I get enough of like the, the manly dude bro stuff, you yeah. know, that it's nice to go home and, and be surrounded by, by some women every now and then too, who also like are, you know, strong kick-ass people too. You're uh you talked a lot about parsing things. Uh, you talked about the RPG thing. You talked about how we, we look at things kind of metaphorically. And human beings are, are people in search of patterns. Um, uh, Carl Sagan writes, uh, one of my favorite things anybody's ever written is a chapter in a book called Broke His Brain, 
where he talks about how you shouldn't really be able to comprehend a uh, a grain of table salt when you look at it. It's too mathematically complex. Yeah. And then he breaks down why you can. Mm-hmm. And it's the order that you see in that magnitude that makes it possible to comprehend it. We tend to do that for a lot of things. And I have to ask, um, and I know it's an uncomfortable question. You've lost a mom in a year. You've gained a child in a year. Mm-hmm. What's going on in that head and heart of yours in the middle of all that? Um, it's, it's really fucking hard. It's tremendously hard. Um, because fatherhood is especially early on completely rife with, um, intimate shareable moments and fears and, and ups and downs that you immediately want to say, mom, look, you know, like I, the amount of times I've reached for my phone to text my mom or FaceTime her, um, and not been able to, and like gotten hit with that realization is, um, is staggering. It's daily. It's, it's every single day I go, Oh, my, my mom would love this. Or I have a question for my mom and realizing that I'll never be able to do that is, is, is gutting. It's fucking heartbreaking. It's like the hardest is by far, it's actually harder than it was harder than like watching her die and losing her was knowing that she would have been so in tune with this. She was surrounded by dudes constantly. And then she has a granddaughter, you know, and she would have fucking loved that. She would have like, she would have lit up just thinking about it. She would have been mailing me like clothes and toys and all this shit every single day. She would have been calling me and FaceTiming me constantly. Cause that's who she was. Um, and the fact that the universe decided to remove her, um, as it does with many people, is, is heartbreaking and it, it crushes me every single day to think about how that's not something that she'll get to experience and that my, that my daughter won't have like that old Italian grandmother. Like, you know, I had, I still have an Italian grandmother. Like my grandmother buried her daughter last year. Like my grandmother is going to be fucking 93 years old when she dies. She's looked the exact same my entire life. You know, like I've said this before, but like there are all the time people have like Leslie Nielsen's disease where they just look, they're like, there's no pictures of the young, you know, like they, they have white hair when they're like 30 and they just look at that forever. Um, the people in my mom's family live to be very old and that's why my mom was pretty bitter about, about getting cancer and dying from it. Cause she was like, this is not supposed to happen. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to have another like, you know, 30 years on earth. Um, and so, yeah, it, it kills me, man. It hurts. And, like, I, my mother-in-law comes and it helps because she's great and I get to see, I get to see my daughter with, her, with one of her grandmothers. Um, and, you know, my, my father shows up and he's great and it's, you know, it's, it's good to see that too. But, like, we're all thinking it and it's, it's like, it just, it fucking breaks my heart. And I have how, this, like, what are you going to say? How do you tolerate the pain of those daily reminders, Brian? How do you how do you deal with that? Because when I hear you describe this, I'm not a father, nor have I lost either of my parents yet. And when I hear you say this, my, my the first place my mind and heart go is I I, I feel like I would fall into despair. It happens. Um, the the thing is with with a with a newborn, you don't really have 
a lot of opportunity to settle on one mood. <laughs> like you don't really get to be one thing for a long time. Like some, you get to be tired for a while, you know, you get to be scared for a while, but that those feelings are constantly replaced with confusion or like worry or elation, you know, or like pure fucking exuberant joy. Like it's really hard to me to be like, to wake up depressed about this and then hear my daughter giggling and going to pick her up and being like, okay, I'm like, I'm holding this giggling baby in my hand right now who's learning the world and her sense of discovery is amazing. And it's like, it, I owe it to her to, to be a good father here. And like, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very hard because it's like a one day I'm going to have to explain to her, uh, who she is. And it's going to be weird because it's like, she'll, she'll recognize photos of all of, of all the people that are in her life that are still in her life. And then there'll be this one character that like, I have to explain as this sort of like mythical being, mm. um, which is really cool. And in, in, in many ways, cause I get to sort of be like, this person was great and tell you all about her. Here's some videos of her. Like here's some pictures of her, like here's voicemail. She here's her voice, you know? Um, but ultimately like, yeah, dude, it fucking sucks. Like it really, it really, really sucks. And I'm doing my best. Um, and it's only been a year. Yeah. Um, and I had this the thing where it was like, you know, and I've told this story before I, uh, you know, I, I found out three days before my mom died that I was going to become a father and then I lost her. Um, and then nine months later I became a dad and, uh, you know, I was so busy through the pregnancy and through everything. And I, I sort of like purposely used the passing of my mom as an inspiration to be more creative than I've ever been and be more prolific and be busier, not to distract myself, but because she was a creative person. And I feel like, yeah. you know, I owed her that. Um, yeah, she was an artist. Yeah. And, it, but you know, then, then I had the kid and like that moment I was like, I, I can't share this with my mom and I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even religious. So I can't even, I can't even like, tell myself like she's watching over, you know, I'd love to believe that I'm, I'm not saying that's not an option. Maybe it is. I would love for it to be, but my brain hasn't convinced myself that. And so I can't even be like, she's smiling down from heaven. And even if she was, that's not the same as being like, here, mom, here's, here's your, here's your granddaughter. So yeah, dude, it, it fucking hurts. Like it really, really does. Like it's honestly, it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. Um, like losing her was really hard, but watching, watching like my, like life go on is beautiful. But also the fact that she's not there for a lot of those things is, is, uh, is really difficult on the flip side. Like it's given me a lot of perspective on, you know, making, making things count more, not wasting time more. Um, it's given me a lot of ability to help others cope when, when shit goes down with their parents, because it does and it will. And, the, the sad reality of, of our lives is this is how it goes. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it gets, it gets really, really difficult and we're just, we're just getting started, you know, like I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen when like her picture pops up in a digital picture frame in a couple of years and my daughter goes, who's that? Yeah. You know, have you I, had a mother's day yet since your daughter was born? 
I don't, when's Mother's Day? <laughs> uh, it's in May, I believe. No, so I haven't. Yeah. No. So you haven't done that yet. No, I had a Father's Day, but it was like three weeks in. Yeah. And it just felt like. I, I think I, I tweeted I need about sleep it. And, and I have a tiny baby here. Yeah, I tweeted about it. I said it felt like another video game bullshit, but I was like, it it, it felt like when you start a video game and you get a trophy, like yeah. a, a, the pop up happens. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's and a it's a bronze. Yeah, and you're like, I haven't done shit yet. You know, I was like two weeks in, and it was like, oh, happy Father's Day. I was getting all these cards and texts. Hey, Brian, how's it been? I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I just started. Um, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be tough. I I did learn that like. A, a lot of people in my family were really set on, and I think they mean well, but they were like, oh, you know, it's uh, it's the one-year anniversary of, 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 of your mom, of mom passing. Like, let's all get together. Let's go to church. Let's, and to me, it, like, I don't, like, I don't want to celebrate the, the day someone died. I want to celebrate the day they were born or yeah. the day they did something awesome or like I was, I always find that weird. And they, we do that a lot in pop culture um, where we go like, Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah died today. They would have been this many years old. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you can do that math with their birthday too. Yeah. You, <laughs> you could, know? you could do that with a birthday and it's uh, no, I mean, I think about real uh, from religious context, for example, I Christianity tends to put far more focus on Christmas and Easter, which are stories of birth, than yeah. on Good Friday, which is a story of death. I mean, I respect is, the hell out of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what day did he die? Uh, well, okay, that's a. It was on a Friday. Yeah, and it was the Friday following Passover. Got it. Got so, it. So, uh, but Sunday is the day that everything's focused on because that's the resurrection day. But it's like um, Super Mario Brothers. We don't know the exact day it came. Well, out. Well, I mean, it was Passover of probably around the year twenty seven BC or so, or pardon me, twenty seven AD or so. That's a great um, year, huh? That's but, a great uh, year. Yeah, yeah. Probably about twenty seven AD Passover. Yep. So. No, that's a yeah. I I really respect that because I think that like I, if you're going to remember people, and I see this like I don't know. I was like really into Nirvana in middle school, and people are always like, "Oh, it's been X amount of years since Kurt Cobain died." I'm like, really? Like we want to remember the moment he blew his own brains out? Yeah. Or as like some conspiracy theorists would lead you to believe, was killed. Um, I don't fall in that camp, but I'd rather celebrate the fact that he was born one day. Uh, and you know, where is he from? And like, what, you know, what did he contribute? Or like with my mom, like when her birthday comes up in January, that's the day where I'm going to wake up and I'm going to make her pasta sauce recipe and my Uh, entire house is going to smell great. And I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna look at photos of her and I'm going to cry a lot. Well, yeah, that's what I would ask you. What's a celebration in fatherhood that you're looking forward to? That, oh man, like celebration in fatherhood? Yeah, in, in whether it be celebrating the life of your mother in your child's life or whether it just be something that you have. What's something you're looking forward to? What's one of those high days? One of those days worth remembering or <sighs> worth commemorating? I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know yet because I kind of don't, I don't want them, I don't want them to happen yet. Oh. Like, I'm so, this is such, it's so, it's so I, maybe I'm still in the honeymoon phase with, your, my, with my kid, but. I'm in the moment to moment right now so much that um, that's like, I'm looking forward to getting home tonight and seeing her and I'm looking forward to every single morning before we bring her to daycare. Like I have an hour where I'm just like in my pajamas, like rolling around on the floor, hanging out with her. And that's some of my favorite things in the world. Like I'm, the thing is like, she's too young to develop any like meaningful memories. So like, I'm not like when we go to Disney the first time or when we have her birthday for the first time, stuff like that. Uh, I'm more like, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to like 
Thanksgiving weekend where I can just bum around for four days and watch movies and like day drink wine and mm. like hang out with my kid and build more pillow forts and you know like you made the, you made the wise choice. I took I took a review over Thanksgiving. So oh I'm God, Thanksgiving review thing. Yeah, yeah. You should review Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> you reviewed church once. That was I did. Great. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm I'm. I'm like sort of looking forward to her saying her first word. Like she started doing this thing. Like we'll we'll like wave at her and say hi. And she we put her in her high chair yesterday, and she was like swinging her arm and going like bah. And I don't know if that's the start of something. It's burat burat. Yeah, may- <laughs> maybe. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I don't I don't want to rush any of it because all it all it all ha- has happened so fast already. That's um, really cool. And so like I just kind of want to live live in the moment for all of it because. A lot of that stuff, it, it happens and then it stops happening. You know, like we got rid of her. Uh, we brought her home in this Star Wars onesie. Like we brought her home from the hospital in a onesie that was like just, you know, and onesies, like if you don't know, they are they are the feety pajamas we all wish we could wear as an adult. Yeah. Um, just fucking head to toe. There's a zipper that starts at your big toe and ends at your neck. Like it's just it just goes right up. They don't really make them for adults. Um, if they made the Star Wars one, I would I would wear it all through Christmas break. Uh, but she grew out of it. And my wife and I were like, well, we've been donating all the clothes she grows out of because babies grow so fast. But that was the one where we were like, hold on to that. Like that we brought her home from the hospital now. Like that would be funny to show her one day. So, but yeah, it, everything's, it's so quick that I'm not, I'm not really looking forward or looking back. I'm just trying to enjoy every second while it's happening. That's wise. That's good advice for, for most of us, I think, at most times. Yeah. I and mean, there's a lot to be said for, I had a shrink tell me once that, that I'd lived my entire life as the ant, and it was really time to be the grasshopper for a while. Yeah. Uh, some of the best advice I ever got was to just maybe living in the moment is a good thing sometimes. Yeah. And, I really like, I really appreciate that because I think that there's a lot of, and you realize this when you get older, but there's a, and people people go two ways on this. Again, the skill tree, like you either become very bitter about it or you become very sort of happy and and sort of indulging in the moment of it all. But there are a lot of like, like I'll put it this way one day. And I appreciate you having me on the show so many times, but one day will be the last time we podcast together. Mm -hmm. I don't know when I hope it's not today because this is great. I love talking to you, but one day will be the last time. And you and I probably won't actively and consciously sit down and say, here it is, our last podcast together. Yeah. But, the, you know, the sands of time will shift. Things will move around. Maybe you'll go over here. I'll go over there. This will happen. The, that'll happen. And then that'll be it. And it'll just be like, like there's that, you know, that last time you ever hung out with your friends in their backyard or something like that. You don't announce it. It just happens. And then you go do some other shit and you look up and three years have passed since you've done it. Yeah. And you all get old and have kids and you don't do it again. And so I'm very conscious of that and really appreciating what I have while it's happening. Cause I think you realize as you grow older, you know, like that things, things aren't, you're not promised tomorrow and things are not guaranteed to stay uh, forever. And so it's, it's cool to sort of be like, we have this right now. Let's appreciate this right now. Cause I don't know, you know, I don't know how many more of these we'll have. Yeah. I like what you said about the, branching between bitterness or appreciation there the, uh, looking at the world that way could make you think things don't matter at all yeah and seriously it, and it can make you think things matter more yeah and that's and it's really it's sort of arbitrary and it's on it's on you to decide which of those you want to choose and it's not just a blanket 
um, sort of actualization on everything you apply it to. Cause it's not like that. There's a lot of things where I'm like, well, that doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Like there's a lot of bullshit now that I'm like, I used to get wound up about that. I'm like, ah, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't matter no, at all. I, I flashed uh, when I, th- when I think about that question, I just flashed uh, to uh, Donnie, you know, you know, the nihilists or to yep. uh, uh, Walter and Donnie. Talk. Are these nihilists or are they, you know, yep. the, et cetera. Yep. Taking uh, that hard left turn here in a second to their lightning round, but before we do. Sure. Um, tell me a little bit about those creative endeavors outside of work that you're doing. I, I know you and Max started Weird Heat mm-hmm. a long time ago now. You've been doing that for... Almost a year, yeah. Yeah, and um, it's been going on for a long, long time. Tell yeah. me of the Weird Heat. So Weird Heat is a show I do with Max Scoville, who's my, my best friend, um, who uh, is very, he and I share a lot of sort of tendencies and sensibilities when it comes to like humor and creativity and, um, you know, our approach to sort of destigmatizing conversations about mental health and adulthood and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so we started a show in February that was basically us saying every two weeks, we're going to talk about a one topic for 30, 40 minutes. And then from that topic, I'm going to make a song inspired by it, which when you pick something like uh, anxiety is kind of easy, but when you pick something like Thanksgiving, it gets a little more challenging, uh, which has been cool because it's gotten me outside of my comfort zone creatively. How are you um, doing on the hi-hats? I'm bringing them down a little bit. You're bringing down the yeah. hi-hats? Yeah. So under, that's the Altano hi-hat. That's the, they, that's... Get, they get loud, I know. <laughs> uh, you love them. You I love do. Them. They, they get a little hot in the mix. I, yeah, I love, I love a... I love a really good drum pattern. Yeah, that is my that is my favorite thing in the world. One thing I'll make one day I'll make a song without drums on it at all. I don't believe you. No, and then it'll. It's like John Williams making a song without horns. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I will say that the the sort of spectrum between Weird Heat being this creative, passionate love child that I am completely completely enamored in the moment and creating versus calling it a success by any metric is <laughs> the vastest gamut of anything I've ever worked on. Expound. Like it is a complete and total and colossal failure by every metric that anyone would use outside of how it connects with the people who find it. The people who find it love it, but very few people find it. Um, and it is almost impossible to explain or promote um, getting people to plug headphones in to listen to a podcast or listen to music is difficult. Um, getting people to like buy art is, is difficult. Like getting people to really like to go like, Hey, me and my friend are doing this like heady creative show where we talk about depression and Thanksgiving and like, so it's a good show and a lousy business. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like, like most great art, <laughs> you know, like, um, but yeah, the numbers are compared and this is where it gets difficult compared to like some some thing i'll do at ign yeah numbers are abysmal and compared to like uh other other patreons and and businesses i've been involved with numbers are abysmal um it's actually like it cost me it cost me like a thousand dollars a year to put music out yeah and i'd be amazed if i made that back this year i'd be amazed yeah yeah i will i mean how come because i love making it and also, because I need I need to be fucking humbled every now and then too. 
you, you find it humbling that that it's not commercially successful? Yes, point? absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. To work on, like, I just put out my new song this morning, and I put it on Twitter, and it got like 108 favorites and like seven retweets or something. And this is not hyperbole, but if I had taken a picture of the floor and just tweeted it out without a caption, I think people it would have gotten more engagement. I think people would have been like, oh, what's up with that floor? Where's that floor? Are you at Rockstar? Mm-hmm. Are you at Sony? You know, is that the Nintendo floor? Like, what's the, what's the floor all about? So this is a matter of being committed to something you believe in and enjoying making it. Yeah, well, it's, it's like I could stop at any moment. Sure. We could just end it tomorrow, and it's not like there'd be a cliffhanger, you know? Yeah. It served its purpose, uh, and it got me producing music again, which is fantastic mm-hmm. on a personal level. But... Um, it's just not people aren't finding it, but the ones that do are like saying this is my favorite show, and you know they're like they're meeting us at conventions and and hugging us and crying, or they're mm-hmm. saying like I I traveled here because of this, I lost weight because of this, you know I'm like I have a better outlook because of this, or like thank you for this, it got me through this. There's just like there's just no one there, but the ones that they, that are really love it. So. Why do you think it resonates with the people that do discover it? Um, cause I think it's, it's, I think a lot of people don't talk like the way we're talking right now anymore. I don't think a lot of people, I think a lot of people don't talk at all, period. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like conversation is going away and it's being replaced by other things that are very good, but don't necessarily scratch that itch. And I also think because we are not afraid to have conversations and your show does the same thing very well, uh, about real human adult shit that we're dealing with or that we're going through without um, coming off as like vulnerable or feeling like we're going to get called a bunch of fucking names or that we're not being alpha enough and like all this other bullshit like that people are just and it just it it makes people so fucking wound up and like I have people in my family like this who are like they don't talk about shit you know it's like Getting my dad to open up after my mom died has been fucking impossible, and he is the only, he has spent he spent more time with my mom than anyone on earth, and I'd love to get everything out of him while I can, and I'd love for him to talk to somebody, but you know he doesn't want to do it, and so it's, it's been cool. Uh, King of the Hills back on Hulu, yeah, which is one of my all time top favorite pieces of entertainment of any kind ever, um, and what I love about it. Uh, among the many things I love about it is that it's it's sweet, biting satire. It it is it goes for the throat, yep. but not cruelly. Yeah, um, and it is pretty much always about that tension between our desire not to communicate the things that deeply wound us. Yeah, and the power that opening ourselves to other people has that is that is what almost every episode of that show is about and they manage to tell that same story in hundreds of different amusing ways but that's what it is and, and that's why i think something like what you're doing is worth that yeah thank you and and likewise i mean i think that like i i wish we all got better at this i wish that we treated this mental health it's i don't even want to call it that because it's not even that right like mental health even calling it health implies that there's something sick. And I don't think there is. I think that just having human conversations with, with your friends or with other people in general about things that we don't usually talk about, like, you know, like death or, you know, 
birth or, you know, creativity, depression, anxiety, all that stuff. I think we're all so deathly afraid to have those conversations now. And it's like, it's making us very wound up as a species. um, And it's causing very violent, detrimental things. It's causing us to implode, to explode. Um, And it sucks. So we're also missing out. We're missing out on really good conversations at the end of it. You know, mm. I think that like selfishly, we are all robbing ourselves of how great it is to just sit down and talk with a friend about some shit. Like that's, that was there before anything. It'll be there after when it's the fucking apocalypse and there's two people left and one of them's got broken glasses and he loves reading or whatever the fuck. <laughs> um, they're going to have a conversation, you know? And farts will be funny and like, you know, like depression will be real. And And it'll feel good to talk and it'll feel good to listen. Yeah. You'll listen and you'll learn something. I agree. Talk and you'll learn something. I agree. And I think we have to keep, we have to keep that alive. um, Even if it's bad business. (laughs) And then on the other end, uh, on the, on the, the maybe perhaps more uh, successful on the business end of the scale and also very good for folks in a very different way. You do the comedy button. Yeah, I do. I do. Which is. You know, like, I think, like, that's, that's got, that's got just enough of, like, the sort of, like, goofy detachment from the universe um, with one foot in the, let's have real adult conversations. It's just basically a show about growing up, but, I know. would, I would love to see you guys get together and, and, and seriously, on a panel, uh, maybe not even with a crowd, but just, a, a, like, a podcast panel, and maybe this is just too navel gazy, but, but I'd be very interested that you allude constantly on the show to the fact that you've changed so much over the years and the kind of comedy you make has changed over the years and norms and, and, and what's funny and what's, what's happening in the world around you have deeply affected the, the route of that comedy. I'd love to see, have you sit down when you're not all leaping in for the next comedy joke and talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like just hear about that evolution. Look back on where you began and how that story is taking you. Because you've been doing that for over a decade now, right? Yeah, and I think that, like, I, I think you're supposed to change. There's this weird yeah. there's this weird notion that you're not. Um, you better. You should. I mean, I don't think you should reinvent yourself every fucking day, but I, th- I think that, like, if you're not, if you're not evolving... Um, there's a problem, right? Yeah. Like, I think that, like, I like I ran into a friend from high school, and he was like, oh, you, you dress differently than you did in high school. I'm like, yeah, you're fucking supposed to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I didn't know what I'm doing, what I was doing when I was 16. Like, yeah. it's been 20 years. Like, I want to I be a different person now. Um, but also that I think that, like, if you can, if you can earn a laugh uh, without just going for the cheap, easy thing, it feels so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like, it's such a, it's such a cool feeling. And that's why like I I err to the side of like absurdist humor a lot because mm-hmm. there's less there's less like shotgun approach at like a crowd full of victims and more just like, wait, what? <laughs> Which I really love. Like I you don't really piss off as many people or hurt as many people when you say some shit that's just completely weird and sideways. Uh fifteen minutes of trying to get Scott Bromley to eat circus peanuts to the point <laughs> yeah. to kill him is is And to me that's like the funniest thing in the world. And I could have sat down and been like, Oh, you fucking fucking pussy bitch and people would have been like, That's funny too, in a different way, but like Well, you're back to picture of the floor. Yeah, exactly. And that's not contempt for your audience. No, no, not at all. It's that there are different approaches and kinds of things. Right, and we're not telling them that's what they have to do. A lot of people want to keep talking that that way, and they're they're free to. And I'm I'm 
like it was like when I when I flicked out my last cigarette seven years ago, I always said to myself like, I don't want to be one of those people that knock cigarettes out of people's hands. Mm-hmm. I want to be one of those people that quit <clears throat> and doesn't really get in people's faces about it. So I like that. Now I I like uh, I, I have a dream if I ever make enough money doing this, I want to take you and the comedy button guys to Cave City, Kentucky, where we can stay in the concrete teepee hotel. And then go to Cave City, which includes the Concrete Dinosaur Theme Park, the non-ice downhill sledding on concrete, uh, the fun houses, and the rest of these. Oh, oh, Kentucky Stonehenge, um, and the various other attractions that are gathered there together in the Cave City area. I would love that so much. I can. I think making video out of that would be a lot of fun. We can. We can. You don't have to pay for. We can pay for our trip. Huh? We can pay for our, our, our trip to that. Oh, we can do that. Oh, we should do that anyway. Yeah, you don't have, to, we don't have to wait for you to spend a bunch of. Don't spend money on us. Sounds, I should. You guys have done no, so much for don't, me. Don't don't worry. But we're 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 okay. We're, we're doing it. Are you doing it? You doing yeah. all right? Yeah, we're. I mean, we're. You know, we're, we all we live in the most expensive city in the country in small yeah. apartments, but we're making it work. Yeah, you're making it work. You got that ramen. Yeah. I, uh, I'm doing a new thing, uh, which will be going up, I think, sometime a little over a week from now. Uh, I'm going to pilot a little game show called Contestants, Are You Ready? So if you're listening to this right now, keep an eye out and ears out for that. Uh, you'll probably see news of that on my Twitter, which is Petty Comma Jared, or on, uh, on my YouTube channel. And I love games. Uh, I'm not, when I say game show, I'm not talking about a video game show. I'm talking about a quiz show. I'm talking about, uh, think of it kind of somewhere between Whose Line Is It Anywhere and a quiz show, and Jeopardy, and uh, Apples to Apples. A little bit of all those mixed in together. I love that. Should be fun. Yeah. Uh, should be fun. It's called Contestants. Are you ready? But um, hey, you have to come on sometime when you got time. So I would love to. Now I got you on mic. I can be like, ha ha, pop in here. No, you got me admitting on this show that I will be on your next thing. I know, so that's there, idea. there so it is. You're locked that's, in. So this is the last writing. time we podcast together now. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So I managed to guarantee it. All right, this won't be. <laughs> I mean, a lot of things could go wrong. We may all die of smoke inhalation. Before. That's true. Well, Not I, to joke about that because many people have. We, you so could, I, I you could be on a roller taste. coaster. You could get hit by a bird like could, Fabio did. Yeah, that's that true. Could that could hap- That happens to hundreds of people a second. That could definitely. Yeah, the leading cause yeah. of death on roller coasters yeah. is the birds. Yeah, but I didn't want to come across as insensitive about the smoke. It's just awful out there right now. No, I mean you have to. You have to be able to joke about shit like that. Otherwise. You're just stuck inside coughing. <laughs> so final questions before you head home, because I know you got a baby waiting for you. Mm-hmm. But uh, we do have that, uh, that, that lightning round that we haven't done in a little bit. The last two times I've interviewed you for this show, I have been an employee uh, of game industry companies. Yes. Um, uh, different companies, the different times, but there was a certain decorum that I felt obliged to follow as, as an employee of those. And that involved not asking you about things related to our mutual love and hobby. I, if you're listening to this and for some reason you don't know us, we both work in video games. We both parse the universe to a unhealthily Scott Pilgrim-like uh, perspective yeah. uh, through the medium of video games. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you the most basic goofy video game questions that I've always wanted to ask you on Mike very quickly. Sure. If you don't mind. All right. Majora's Mask, overrated or not? Overrated. Overrated. How yeah. come? Um, I don't think that's a great game, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I, I actually will say it's like, I'm going to get so much shit for this. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like that game. Don't I, like it. No, Not I just don't. overrated, but don't like it. Yeah, like it is, it's, it, it straight up takes some of my favorite things from Zelda 
and sort of hacks away at them, like sort of exploring at your own pace uh, and sort of at this massive set of robust temples, it kind of chops those things down. Um, I think that like it was so much shit for this. It's a, it was like, it, it was like what we perceived to be this sort of like edgy, mature thing when we were kids, but it's really just sort of, it's, it's, it's like a kind of like circus tent full of garbage. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff in there. There's your headline. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Brian Altano says, no, it's like a it's beloved a, Zelda uh, title. Is, it's is it's like a very, it's a very like carny experience, <laughs> which is weird. Like, I don't know. Like there's there's yeah. a lot of cool stuff in it. I have tried year after year to like fall in love with that game again. The the closest I came was on 3DS, which is a masterfully done remake yeah. of a mediocre game. Right. Um and yes. like to me it's like it's it's it felt like such a step backwards after Ocarina of Time, which is a masterpiece. No, I we all have games everybody likes that we don't like. Yeah. I, I mean I, I I have tried to get into Pokemon so many times. I've tried and tried and tried, and every time I'm just like, "This is like Dragon Quest, but not fun." Like, yeah, I, it's I, I'm in the same boat, and then I'm I'm playing Let's Go Eevee right now, and I'm hooked for yeah. the first time in history, and it's I'm like really hoping one of them grabs me. Um, may, should I try Let's Go Eevee? I think you should. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny because I'm I'm texting friends questions of like shit that like they knew the answer to in '96. You know, and I'm just like, oh, like, like the guy at the gym beat me up. Like, do I have to go grind? And like, oh, it's less about grinding, more about coming back with electrical bolts. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. What's the dumbest Pokemon design? What's the dumbest Pokemon design? Jesus Christ. There's so many stupid ones that I'm learning now Um, because this is all new to me. Uh, Who's that? There's this like toilet elephant. He's like a (laughs) fucking... It's like a taper or whatever. And his top half looks like piss and his bottom half looks like shit. I don't know his name. He's just like this. There's there's also this like fashion Kirby that's like pregnant looking. I don't know the names of a lot of them. I, I like your descriptions. Better. I love like, the horses. There's a lot of great horses. How is this not an IGN slideshow? Brian Altano names Pokemon. Like just take their real ones and have your name. I call it the Eevee Scarf Dog, which is, yeah. I think is a great name for that animal. That's pretty um, good. That, let's see. I don't like any of the bats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, none of the bats? They're just fucking bats. They're not even like different. It's not even... <laughs> Um. Yeah, the, the, I think that Matchop guy or whatever is like he's that's one of the ugliest designs I've ever seen in a video. It's just like it. It looks like a like a small child, adult man in a rubber costume. Um. Let's see who else. Garbodor is my favorite because he's just a, he's like a pile of trash covered in like condoms and glass and okay. cigarettes. That's you a, like him for that? Yeah, he's really cool. So you don't like the guy that's made out of urine and feces, but you like the guy that's made out of glass. I like condoms. making fun of the. There's another guy that looks like he looks like a like a brick chick chipmunk. <laughs> okay, if you're listening to this, can you please give the names of all the actual names of all the Pokemon you're yeah. describing here? Because that's a, yeah, tweet him at us. That's um, a, please with, with please, a photo if you can. Yeah, that, that's I, I have to, I have to know if these are right. Please do tweet those at, at Brian and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like that. You've made no secret of the fact. I think most people that follow you and and what we do uh, know that you love Zelda more than life itself. Apparently, most of them. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and I feel like I was harsh on Majora's Mask. It has a lot of things that I really yeah, like. Okay, you know what? Yeah, it's too late to dig yourself right, out fine, of that hole. Fine, fair enough. Uh, but that your your favorite of those yeah is is the first of the Game Boy games yes yeah um, can you tell first the first of the two part question of this why why you love it so much 
Um, because I think a lot of people in this day and age haven't played it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, outside of 3DS, it's pretty difficult to play. But Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening is my favorite Zelda game and also my favorite game of all time um, for a lot of reasons. Not just nostalgia, although that's a huge part of it. But um, there is something so incredibly deeply isolated about that game that's also strikes that chord of like magic and adventure that I think none of the other Zelda games have. It it takes place in a setting that's that's so distant from everything else. Mm-hmm. Every Zelda game basically has Hyrule and it has like Link's house or like his uncle's house or some shit. And it's got it's got all the same basic tendencies and there's Zelda there. Um, Link's Awakening begins with Link being shipwrecked at sea and waking up on a shore and this this woman finds him and brings him back and nurses him back to life. And um, he finds out that like there's weird trouble on this island and he has to bring all these musical instruments together to like awaken something. And by doing so, he causes the events of the game to unfold. And it's so separate from Hyrule and it's so separate from Zelda and it's so distant from everything. It feels like it's happening on this tiny screen this faraway world completely disconnected from everything and i think that being a kid and having that tiny window on my game boy and being able to bring that on the bus and bring it to school and just being like i can go I, there's an island here yeah in my hands oh dude that the the dream that i've had i think since breath of the wild came out was to see a dlc drop where another island just appears on the edge of yeah and just go out there and Go find the windfish. Right. Like, I, I think that putting that whole game on one island in Breath of the Wild would be amazing. It's why I loved, um, what's it called? The island in, in Breath of the Wild where... Uh, oh, the isolated one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where everything um, Which yeah. I'm drawing a blank on right now. I but, always forget the name of that place. Yeah, I, I loved it so much because it was like, it came very close to that feeling. Yeah. Um, I think there's something magical there. And I think it's like, it's tough nowadays because you would make that game and people would be like, why can't I get on the boat? Like, how come I can't go out to the sea? And like, it's like, no, it just takes place here. Um, The story is really haunting and beautiful. The music is really haunting and beautiful. Like the, the subtext of everything about how, you know what you're actually doing by bringing all those instruments together. It's just I don't want to spoil it in case you no. haven't played it. But. In, in my dreams, Klonoa is riding the windfish somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's this, the relationship between those two games gets me a lot. Thank you. What's your second favorite Zelda? Oh man, that's a re- that's a really tough one. Um, I want to say the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say the first. Uh, uh, like Breath of the Wild is phenomenal, um, but. It's also it's missing a few things that I really love about Zelda, um, and I want to say the first one is my favorite. Uh, it's the one I go back to the most often because um, I think it it captures that sort of you can go anywhere, you can do anything. Yeah. But it's also it's it's obtuse without hitting you in, in the in the head with it in the same way that Majora's Mask does. Um, it's it's dark and weird in that it feels lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's scary and yes, it difficult, scary. you know, like, the, yeah, there's, there's like moments where you're like just 15 screens into this dark cave in the seventh or eighth dungeon. And you've got like your torch and you've got a blinking heart and you feel so far from home and safety, which you don't even have a home in that game. Yeah. Like you don't have a bed. Nope. 
How fucked up is that? No. Like Link doesn't. He has a. He he walks into a cave that somebody else owns, and a guy gives him a sword, but he doesn't have his own. There's no like home base, you know. Like even Ocarina of Time, he starts off in, in Kakariko Village, and he's got, you know, he's got his his bed and everything like that. Like you jump out of the bed in that game. Link's Awakening, you, you know, you you go back to Marin's house or whatever, and you could basically just you know hang out there. Yeah. Link to the past, you've got a bed, you know. Like you don't have a, the, even Breath of the Wild. Like you start, you wake up in that game in a bed, yeah. And you can buy a fucking house in that yeah. game, uh. But the first Zelda game, you just you don't really have anything like that. You don't really no, have a just, home base. Even Zelda around. two, you can go back and, and see your girlfriend frozen in time. In the yeah, castle. so like you're there. There is that castle there. It's yep. upon and you're right. And there are towns that you can walk through. Yep. And in Zelda, it's just you and the wild and a bunch of scary dungeons. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate that you can play it many of the dungeons in any order that like people are still finding secrets in it decades later. Um, yeah, I really love that one when they, when they put it on switch recently, like I signed up for Nintendo online immediately specifically to pay, play that. I was like, everything else is secondary to this. Yeah. I so, love that game. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. Of uh, course. Another one to ask you about, um, another kind of, uh, instant noodles question here. You talk a lot about blood. Mm-hmm. And again, I want to ask, why do you, that's a game that came along very recently. Uh, it's it's a contemporary game that just grabbed you hook, line, and sinker out of nowhere. You weren't a Souls guy. You weren't, and now this has become one of your favorite pieces of art in the medium. Yes. Yeah. Why? Oh man. Um, well, we we talked about sense of discovery in Zelda. Um, there, th- to me, there's there's nothing like creeping around a corner in Bloodborne for the first time and the sort of wonder and horror that, that awaits. There's also that sort of like, there's that gambler's luck to those games that is like, I have, I have all these things on me right now. I should go back, but I'm up. I'll play another hand. Like there's that feeling, right? Where like you turn the corner and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, there's this, this fucking horse wolf is going to kill me. (laughs) I should have just left. And then you're like, but I can, I can take him on and he destroys you. And then the, your death screen pops up. Um, I think the music is phenomenal. The art direction is, is fucking unmatched. I think it like removes a lot of the sort of um, like the, the knight and shining armor shit that you see in the souls games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's less medieval mm-hmm. and it's way, it's, it's just way more like it's got, you know, Stephen King and Hans Christian Andersen, and it's got like fucked like, up. Yeah, the Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah, influence and, and then on. obviously like weird Cthulhu stuff, and it's just like it's so wonderfully gothic horror. Everything in that game is wet and terrifying. It is equal parts, you know, Castlevania and Pet Cemetery. <laughs> it's hard as fuck. So getting through parts of it is fucking thrilling like taking on a big boss and killing it in that game and 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 taking it down the the highs of that in video games to me are unmatched yeah um and i I have to constantly implore people to like keep going push forward like i know this game pushes back hard it kicks your ass beats you up um and kills you over and over and over again but like when you when you when you start to feel more confident and better in that game and you you go back to areas that used to terrify you and you kick ass like it feels like like you know, driving by your high school, mm. like 15 years after you graduated and you're like, Oh, that place used to scare the shit out of me. And now like it doesn't, has no, no effect on me anymore. You know? 
Um, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. That's, I like that. So yeah, play Bloodborne. It's, it's great. They're constantly like, it's like five bucks all the time. Or like, there's no reason not to buy it. Just buy it and put it in your thing and just one day play it, please. What's the last time you cried playing a game? God of War. God of War. Um, God of War was the, uh, and I'm, I've been tweeting a lot about how God of War is my game of the year for this year, 2018. Um, it is not my most played game this year. I will probably never play through it again. I completed it. Um, I immediately messaged Corey Balrog, and I told him, I'm in tears playing your game, and I told him why, uh, and I understand why a lot of people will value Red Dead or... Assassin's Creed or any of the other games over God of War, you're completely entitled to that. God of War is a story about a man, basically a boy who lost his mother and a father trying to raise his child while dealing with grief. And Sounds familiar. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Those, those were very big tentpoles for me. Um, Isn't it weird when it's like somebody reached into your head and made a piece of art? Yeah, it's just a little. You're like, how did you? Have you been reading my mail? Yeah, yeah. It's like it really, it really got me. And you know, like, yeah. When when the game ended, I was I was in in tears, in tears. Um, it was the last. That's the last time a video game did that. An- Annihilation was the movie that did that to me because it's pretty on the nose about cancer. Thematically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that makes sense. And so that gutted me too. But I'm I'm kind of a fucking baby when it comes to shit like that. I I I cry more than I. They look like I should. <laughs> no, I mean, the crying's valuable. You talked about when something's getting inside you, when something resonates mm-hmm. like that. Empathy, it's weird that art can be empathetic. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, a, an acquaintance who writes books who, who told me the scariest day is when you send it out the door because it's, it's out there now. You made it. You it's not to yours anymore. To someone. Yeah. It is still yours, but it's theirs too. Yeah. And those words that you put there, it, you know, that's going to resonate, you hope, with someone, but you'll never be there for it. Yep. And yet it's empathy. Yep. And you'll only, you'll never see that side of it, most likely. And Yeah, it's weird. But and that's what art does. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you could, you could text Corey and tell him. Yeah. Most folks are not going to have that opportunity. And, and that's an interesting strange little uh, part of the world we live in. I'm glad you were able to. I, for me, uh, it's, uh, I swear somebody like read my soul when they wrote to the moon. I, really? I, oh my gosh. That game. If there was ever anything that resonates with my life, <sighs> that's it's awesome. that game. Like, I don't know where to start. So I should play it then. Yeah, you should. It's, it's brief. It's only like three hours long and it's made in RPG maker originally. And it's at first you're going to be like, Jared, what's the big deal? And you're like, why am I solving these little puzzles? And, I can't promise you it will resonate for you the way it did for me, but it has a connection to my personal life that is difficult for me to, to adequately express. And it's just incredible storytelling. I, I think that you have a heart of steel if you don't break a little at the end of To the Moon. Good. It's incredible. That really makes me want to play it. Have you played um, Passepartois or Passepartout? No, should I? It's a it's an indie game. It just hits hits Switch. It's on Steam as well, and uh, that one made me cry too because it's about uh, this young French painter that uh, basically lives in a garage and you make paintings and you make them with a touchscreen and you take the paintings and you put them out 
display and people living in this small like French town come walking by and they point at them and they tell you if they like them or not and they buy them off of you and then you sell the paintings and you spend your money on wine and bread and cheese and stuff like that and like little by little I think you like you upgrade and get better stuff and um, you know you live the life of an artist and it struck me it reminded me of living in New York City in like 1999 (sighs) and like making paintings and like having that very just like raw guttural connection to a canvas and and putting stuff out for other people to judge and when, when you half-ass shit in this game like the algorithm knows and people walk by and they're like mm. that's a lazy painting oh, but when you rad. work on something really well people are like that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen and um, I started on a flight and just immediately like started tearing up and I think it was because like I was just like oh this reminding me a lot of being like a young artist oh, I gotta play this yeah it's, sounds, it's really special sounds amazing I love when the art is art yeah it's striking. Well, we I've kept you a long time tonight. It's okay. And I uh, I would love to ask you more about us uh, lightning round video game stuff. Well, we this hopefully probably, won't be our yeah. last time. Yeah. Well, let's say not. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tonight. Always, man. I love, 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 love talking to you. I, I always do. Yeah, I miss you. With yeah. microphones on or without microphones on. <laughs> well, we can turn the mics off and then uh, imagine you're going to go home and see your uh, see your baby. And uh, I'm going to go home and edit this episode. (laughs) Then get it up for tomorrow. So thank you, Brian. And uh, thank you, Jared. Anything else for folks before you go? No. uh, If you want to hear my music, uh, check out, go on Spotify or YouTube or iTunes or anywhere you get your music and just look up Weird Heat um, or look up my name, Brian Altano, and you can find it there. Uh, Go check out Weird Heat on YouTube. Watch our show. It's also on iTunes as a podcast. Uh, Listen to the comedy button. Check out the stuff I do at IGN. And more than anything support jared support jared's patreon support his show share it with people um and talk to each other just talk to your friends about shit and if they push back a little bit just you know keep trying just just talk because it's good it feels good to do it and it feels good to listen to so yeah keep talking man i got nothing to add to that good night folks good night